0: Hello and welcome to the Koshcast on underthekoshblog.com. Given we don't really fancy talking about Luka Modric going to jail or Ronaldo, God forbid, having to pay his taxes, we thought we'd do something a little different today. Coming up, I'm going to read you a few of our latest articles in case you don't like reading, and there may be a couple of other bits and pieces. Honestly, I'm not sure. I'm recording this before we find out all the details, so relax Enjoy, and know that Moomoo of the Week this week goes to the Sunderland fan consortium that wants to stage a takeover of the club and appoint Tony Adams as manager. Look it up. It's real. Manchester United, the Makeda moment, by Roche Runner. It was a frantic finish to the 08-09 season, and I was approaching the end of my first year of university. Back home for the weekend, with finals around the corner, the United game was on. It was, and still is, a standard ritual to watch the United game while planning the rest of the day around it, and so everything else was naturally cast aside. This game was particularly interesting, as United were playing Aston Villa at Old Trafford on April 5th, 2009. After seemingly cruising towards the title as the most menacing team Sir Alex had ever built, the title race had been blown wide open by Liverpool's crushing 4-1 victory at Old Trafford, followed by a 2-0 United loss away to Fulham at Craven Cottage. The title race had been turned on its head. Liverpool were closing in on United and had all the momentum. Vidic had been sent off against Liverpool, completely run ragged by the Torres-Gerrard and Alonso combination, and Rooney had been sent off against Fulham for chucking the ball so hard some say it's still travelling, and nerves were deftly on edge as bums settled onto seats. Rio Ferdinand was also unavailable. Liverpool had leapfrog United at the top of the table with a game in hand prior to the kick-off, and it was a must-win game for the Red Devils. The line-ups were as follows. For Man United, Van Der Sar, Gary Neville, John O'Shea, Johnny Evans, Patrice Evra, Nanny, Carrick, Fletcher, Ronaldo, Giggs and Tevez. For Aston Villa, Brad Friedel, Luke Young, Carlos Cuellar, Curtis Davis, Nicky Shorey, James Milner, Stilian Petrov, Gareth Barry, Ashley Young, John Carew and Gabby Bonglaw, obviously because he never leaves. The game started well, with Ronaldo scoring a free kick in the 14th minute, which was awarded inside the penalty area as a result of a sloppy back pass from Milner to Friedel. At 1-0, nerves were eased, and it seemed like this game was in the bag. Thoughts of the blips over the previous two games were drifting away, and United cruising to the title began to enter my mind. I assumed that the text message abuse I was receiving from Liverpool fans, and others, anybody who hated United, would now cease, and in fact, I was starting to consider returning the favour with interest. Things were rarely straightforward, however. John Carew, unmarked by either Gary Neville or John O'Shea, a horrendous pairing in hindsight, equalised on the 30th minute mark after heading home from a Gareth Barry cross. I was shocked at how casually the team was defending. With the score 1-1 at half-time, there was a nervous atmosphere inside Old Trafford that had transcended and been passed on to living rooms across the world. There was no event that could take me away from the television, not even going to the washroom. We needed to score desperately, and keep Liverpool at bay. It would be the most horrendous, humiliating and shameful way to lose the title to our worst rivals, and the critics were all too ready to carve into United if they slipped up. I could not bear to imagine Rafa Benitez getting this one over Fergie. It would have gone against the way of the world as I had understood it for all of my life. In the 58th minute... After a casual cross into the box, Agbonlahor headed home, once again our marked in the box, past Saar, and United were now losing two one. The panic was taking full effect. I started to think about ways to contain the abuse that was about to flood into my life and drown me in humiliation. Was the world unraveling before my eyes? Was the season coming to a grinding halt after looking like a done deal only two weeks before? On came 17-year-old Kiko Makeda, to replace Nanny at the hour mark for his first ever senior team appearance. I did not understand this sub at the time, as I was busy putting my phone on silent to avoid further abuse, including my Facebook newsfeed which was exploding. I could only watch and hope for a miracle, a truly isolating and humbling feeling for a football fan. Thankfully, a breakthrough arrived in the 80th minute. Ronaldo equalising with a precise finish with his weaker foot from outside the box that beat Friedel at the far post. The pressure that led to the goal had been immense, with Michael Carrick in an incredibly attacking position for his standards to provide the assist. At 2-2, with 10 minutes left, a point still didn't feel like enough. It would be considered too dropped. Liverpool had won earlier in the day. A win was the only thing that would put United top of the table again, and more importantly, stop Liverpool's surge. United pressed for the winner, and were leaving themselves exposed at the back. O'Shea made a crucial interception in the dying moments of the game to deny a clear chance, while Welbeck missed in front of the Stretford end. Standard. It was deep into the five minutes of Fergie time, and I was sweating profusely while my heart was in my mouth. Then, it happened. Neville squared to Makeda on the edge of the Villa area, but the debutant lost it. Giggs picked it up and passed it back to the feet of Makeda, who had his back to goal. His first touch was sublime, nimble enough to lose his man and create a half-yard of space, with which he took a first-time, no-look shot that curled perfectly and beautifully into the far side of the net, sending every Man United fan across the world into delirium. Martin Tyler's voice cracked as he screamed, Makeda! It was unbelievable. Relief was sweet, and I was mentally and emotionally exhausted after that match. Pandemonium struck the fans in Old Trafford, and some were reduced to tears after the roller coaster of a game. To this day, I believe the title race was won with that Makeda strike that even broke Martin Tyler's voice as it went in. It was a stupendous moment, which will forever be etched in sync with the name Makeda, the man who won United the title with his first appearance for the club. He would only make 18 more. Next up we've got an article about Everton that I wrote about their latest signings. Uh, this one caused quite a lot of controversy, so if you have a look at it on the website under the goshblog.com, be sure to check out the comment section. It's quite amusing. Here we go. Continuing on from last season's fifty million splurge on Yannick Balassi and Morgan Schneidlin, Everton have now spent another fifty four million on Jordan Pickford and Davy Clarkson. These are decent signings. Pickford, though still relatively unproven, is certainly better than Robles or Stecklenburg. Claassen is a young, creative attacking midfielder who will be a lot more reliable than the spasmodic Ross Barkley, especially when it comes to decision-making. The prospect of the former Ajax captain forming a midfield triangle with Schneiderlin and Gay is an appealing one. But will these signings actually make any difference? Everton are in an awkward spot. Finishing 15 points above Southampton, but 8 below Manchester United, the Toffees are in a league of their own, and it's one that's going to be incredibly difficult to get out of. Their league position and stature dictate the level of the player that they can plausibly hope to sign, and the level of the player that they can hope to sign rather dictates their league position. This is true of all clubs to some extent, but it's easier for good coaching, good luck and a clever signing or two to help a team rise from 15th to 8th, or from 3rd to 1st. Climbing from 7th into the top 4 is a much more difficult proposition given the level of competition. Mauricio Pochettino has managed it with Spurs, but it's fair to say that Koeman is not quite at the Argentines level. This is why I suggest that as good as Pickford and Klaassen are, and while they both look like necessary additions to the squad, I do not believe that they will help Everton do anything more than solidify their current role as the best team that isn't really competing for a Champions League spot. Both will make the side a little more solid... Pickford with his shot-stopping and Klassen with his ball retention as it compares to the likes of Barkley, but it's hard to see either moving the team to the next level. Of course, there remains plenty of time in the transfer window. Others will doubtless come in and it will be fascinating to see how the club can replace Romelu Lukaku, but it feels as though Koeman may have to pull off some 90s Wenger-style transfer wizardry if Everton are going to come close to achieving their objective and truly challenging the Big Six. At Under the Kosh blog, we make no secret of the fact that we quite like AS Roma. And so we were delighted when Roma Press at AS Roma Press on Twitter agreed to write something for us. Roma Press is the place for Roma news, exclusive interviews and more. Here they tell us about Edin Dzeko's incredible season after the Bosnian battled back from a disappointing start to his Roma career. In a tale of two vastly different seasons, Edin Dzeko flipped the switch this season after having arguably one of the worst seasons of his career in 2015-16. The Bosnian arrived at Roma in the summer of 2015 to a massive crowd at Rome's Fiuminico airport and to a fan base with huge expectations. Dzeko was tipped to be the most skilled number 9 to have arrived at Roma since Batistuta. However, just about everything that could go wrong with the former city man, did go wrong in his first season in gialoroso Jacko's season was followed by a flurry of transfer rumours, tipping him with a potential return to England. The Bosnian, though, never wavered, and reiterated his will to remain in Rome and right the wrongs from his first season. And he certainly delivered. The Big Bosnian started this season with an absolute bang, while sending a message to defenders throughout Italy. Last season was a fluke. Dzeko caught fire early and couldn't seem to be stopped. The striker tallied 10 goals in Roma's first 10 league matches and seemed to continue this blistering mark all throughout the campaign. Roma's number 9 ended the season as the leading scorer in both Serie A and the Europa League while finishing with 39 goals in 51 appearances in all competitions, numbers that haven't been seen in the Eternal City in decades. The problems that plagued Dzeko in his first season, such as poor positioning and failing to finish even the most basic of chances, seemingly disappeared. While Dzeko did lead Serie A with the most wasted chances, that obviously correlated to Roma creating a high number more than most clubs and also shed some light on how Dzeko led Serie A in scoring. Another problem Gekko encountered in his first season was when some clubs, in typical Italian fashion, would play with nine men behind the ball. He found it difficult to unlock defences and find space. This, though, is something he mastered this season, and proved to be one of the best throughout Italy with his movement inside the area. Manager Luciano Spalletti, former manager at this point, also harped and pleaded with Gekko to be more nasty and to make teams pay for giving him space in the area, and again he delivered. The timid, unsure Dzeko that was on full display in his first season was gone. The Dzeko of this season was decisive, confident and sharp in his movement and decision-making. At 30, Edin Dzeko proved this season that an old dog can indeed learn new tricks. The Bosnian reiterated his class ability and cemented himself as one of the most lethal and needing-to-be-dealt-with strikers. There's no reason to believe that he can't build upon the sensational form he hit this season and have it continue into the next. And there we have it. Thank you for listening to this slightly oddball form of the Koshcast, and please let us know what you think at underthekoshblog at gmail.com or at under underscore the Kosh on Twitter. I've been Alex, I probably still will be next time we speak to you, and I hope for your sake that there will be more voices to listen to than just mine. Until then, like you, we'll be sitting and waiting to see where David Moy's next job is. Goodbye. for downloading the Koshcast. Get in touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh. And for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com.